welcome to the first episode of Signs, Cosines, and Tangents. Tangents. See, I already missed that. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, so this is our first attempt in a while, and uh, we should tell you what this is all about. So if you've stumbled onto the podcast, you're probably wondering, is this an, a, a geometry podcast? Because my kids could stand to learn some geometry. And what's the answer to that, Jarbachev? Uh... N squared plus Q squared equals C squared. <laughs> so anyway, my name's Sean Signs, and and joining me is my co-host, Co-Signs, wink, is Jared Jarbachev Cherup. Uh, and so, a little bit about our background. Why should you listen to these two wacky guys who apparently don't know what they're doing? I don't know why. You need to convince me. <laughs> well, yeah. If I can't convince my co-host, I probably have a problem. So my history is I was born in a small town in rural central – no, that doesn't – Rural central Ohio? <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. And it wasn't a small town. But uh, So I was the video game critic for the Columbus Dispatch for a number of years. And uh, interesting fact, the Columbus Dispatch actually launched the first mainstream media video game podcast. Actually, our podcast game on went on for 209 episodes. And uh, it's it's in a few textbooks, so we're famous. You're published? Yeah, well, I was published anyways. I mean, I was a writer. That's how I got the podcast started. We're not writing for this episode, though. We're just talking, right? Yeah. Okay. I no, I have to write for this I was episode. told that this was a audio podcast. I was told there would be no math. Well, we already screwed that up with our name. Oh. That's a, those are math terms? <laughs> yeah, actually. Mm, uh, okay. Yeah. So, so uh, go ahead. Let me introduce myself. Yes. You may know me from previous podcasts, such as Double Jump Spirit and Insert Other Podcast here. Um, and this is being hosted on our fabulous Four Score and Seven Pongs Ago website. So tell me a little bit about Four Score and Seven Pongs. What is that? So that started as a competition between me and my good friend, Brian Morning Toast Vaughn. Morning Toast. Morning Toast. Because you don't have toast in the evening. At least I've never had toast in the evening. Okay. That almost makes sense. But, uh... It was just a battle of words of who was the best video game player, and we decided to put our medal to the test, and we've had an annual quote-unquote contest for the past four or five years. Oh. So this is evolving out of that, right? I mean, you're not going to play video games with Brian on this podcast? We could. There's no video component. Just watch with your mind's eye. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's so, you know, I could do the narration. Yeah. No. Oh, I got no. excited there for a so second. So wh- what are we going to cover on this? I mean, this is just two guys sitting in a basement staring at each other lovingly across a table. I didn't know you felt that way. Well, you're kind of cool. Kind of. That's what my wife says. Yeah, that, um, that's going to set up this <laughs> whole interaction. So what we're going to do every week, quote unquote, is go over video games, nerd culture, TV, movies. Um, yeah. 
And that's it. That's are, it. Are there we're limiting any... ourselves to those. We're not talking politics? No. And we're not going to talk about uh, Jello recipes either. You will not listen to this podcast for Jello re- recipes. Now you've just set the bar. We have to have a Jello <laughs> recipe at some point. Uh, all right. So we're, we're going to try and keep a general structure to this every week. We uh, quote unquote, as Jared said, um, where we kind of hit some high level topics, talk about things that are in the news that are interesting to just kind of grabbed our eye over the course of the last week. Uh, five, six things, maybe see how that goes. And then we'll play a song for you. Not us personally, but no. we'll, we'll loop it in. Um, related to our main topic of the podcast. And then once we talk for however long it takes us to exhaust our opinions on the main topic, uh, we'll do a segment that we love the thought of. We haven't done it yet, so we don't know if it's good, uh, which is called One Dumb Thing. Yep. And we'll go over what we think is really dumb. And then at the end, we'll do what we call last shots, which... The other component that you can't see on the podcast, because it's an audio podcast, and if you can see sine waves and sound, you still wouldn't see it, is we're actually trying to make sure we don't get nervous. Both of us have a fear of public speaking. I just want to make that very clear. Um, but we're, we're imbibing a choice bourbon as we do this. So that may make this prone to some odd statements. I think you're going to get that anyways, but we'll just enhance the experience. Well, that's where the tangents come in, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so the goal really is to, to rotate our topics through the episodes. And we want to make sure that our listeners um, have the ability to influence the content in the format of the show. We have an idea what we want it to be. It will evolve over time. And uh, we'll, we'll make sure as we publish this, we give you some direct ways to tell us how amazing the work product we produce has become. Great podcast or greatest podcast? We'll come back to that. <laughs> Actually, I have that in my notes. So we have show notes, so we'll, yeah. you'll, you'll see all that. Because we're going to publish our unedited show notes as part of our announcement for each new episode, just because I don't want to rewrite them. I don't want to write at all. Well, that's convenient. <laughs> uh, and then after the uh, last shots, we'll play an interesting song that we liked as an outro. Uh, we will link and credit all of these songs that we're playing. They're all playing from, uh, well, most of them at this point. Today, we're going to be featuring songs from Overclocked Remix. So they're video game related. We can't guarantee it's always going to be video game related. We're going to do an entire mouth harp uh, episode <laughs> in the future. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Zamfir will not be appearing on this <laughs> podcast. So with that note, is there anything you want to say before we move into the main content? I think we need to go. Yeah, we we're, we're go. dragging this out. People have already. They're told, already. What the heck out. did I download? <laughs> That should, <laughs> that should be the button when you download our podcast. What the heck did I download? All right. So moving into our next section, there's supposed to be an audio cue here. No, there isn't. There will be. There will be in the future. This is something I've just determined. Yeah. Audio cues will be featured in the next episode, note to self. 
<laughs> Note for posterity. Mass Effect Andromeda. Yeah, this is our first quick hit topic this week. So Mass Effect Andromeda has been uh, pretty highly anticipated by a lot of people, right? And Bioware, EA uh, have done a good job of kind of dribbling out some of the information about the game. Until recently, people were cautiously optimistic. Now, at the time we're recording this, the game's not out yet. It's scheduled to come out the Tuesday, uh, the 21st, I believe? Correct. Of, um, what, March? March is? We're in March. March, yes, yeah. Um, I don't know what month it is. But uh, one of the things that they did as a way to try and sell the game is they put it into what they call the Origin and EA Access program, which allows people who subscribe to that service to access a bunch, a library of EA games. And so it's the premier thing they're trying to use to sell people on signing up for this service, is you get a 10-hour preview, which is the full game, as much as you can consume in 10 hours. So there's some problems with this concept. Mass Effect as a game series, and Andromeda is following in the same bend. Well, in 10 hours, you don't get very far. Now, does this also save your progress? If you it do does, cho- actually. So, the game? so if you pre-order through the digital platforms, so if you pre-order on the Xbox or PS4 or um, PC, it saves your progress and you can continue to play once the full game unlocks. Okay. By the way, this install on the PC, 43 gigabytes. Holy crap. For 10 hours of gameplay. I think it's the full game. And I think they just flip a switch on the license side, but I don't know. But the reason we wanted to talk about this is um, over the last few years, we've been seeing a lot of kind of false premises around what games are going to look like when they come out. Um, And this is not just EA, but a lot of the publishers, uh, I can think of... um, No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky. There's one other big example, which is Watch Dogs. Oh, yeah. Where we saw a lot of things in previews, and then when the game finally came out, it didn't look like that. No, it did not. Unfortunately, for Mass Effect Andromeda, it's the opposite. Looked great. Well, it looked interesting in the dribs and drabs of things we've seen, except in the conversations. Now, for those of you who haven't played Mass Effect, it's a science fiction role-playing game. It's known for its character interaction. Yep, I've played the first one and about 10 hours of the second one. Okay, so you haven't gotten to the ultimate gap of disappointment that is... No, I've read all about the ending of Mass Effect 3. Um, For those that don't know, your choice is carried over in each game. Your character development, your choices, but they ultimately culminated in three different endings, which felt like a huge letdown for everyone that had invested. I wouldn't say everyone. Some people were like, yeah, this kind of stinks. But a lot of people were, hey, why did I just spend 300 hours playing and then... I get three endings. And I get the same three endings. As everybody else, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which we could get into game design philosophy, but ultimately that, that was a game nearing its end state and them not being able to calculate all of those variables and randomly generate an ending. 
Well, I mean, that's a tough task to be even multiple endings have always been sort of polarized because everybody says, oh, this is the canon ending. This is the ending. That's the best ending. These ones feel like cop add on endings. Well, and the thing that's worst about that, especially when we talk about Mass Effect Andromeda and any of the Mass Effect games, is that Bioware has actually come out and established the official version of each of those games stories which undermines the point of the whole thing. Everybody's experience is unique. It's supposed to be dependent on your choices. Except, by the way, what choices you made aren't what we're carrying forward. Wasn't that the problem if you're going to make something a franchise? You know, if if you wanted to keep that a franchise within three games, whatever happened was the ending, whatever happened, and then move on to something else. Yeah, so it makes those details unimportant. Right. Right. But that's not actually the problem here. This is a new game, new setting. It takes place 600 years after the original trilogy. Same races, for the most part. Some new races. Uh, but what people are noticing really, really quickly, and the reason I was drilling down into that interpersonal stuff, is when you look at facial expressions, when you're having a conversation with a person, it zooms in on their face. And it's like you and I having this conversation across the table. Just like real life. Ex- <laughs> no. Okay. I'm not disassociation is a problem we probably need to talk about. Okay. But um, anyway, so what people have noticed is that they talk about how awesome these facial animations are. These are the creepiest looking faces you will ever see. Yeah, and I sent you a link. Uh, I haven't played the game, haven't played the demo, um, and I saw a Giphy link of some of these facial animations. And it, it literally looked like somebody dragged, you know, like in Photoshop where they just made somebody smile like, you know. Well, and there's some expressions like there's and I have played the game, right? I've spent about five hours now halfway through my test drive, which I've already pre-ordered the game, which is, by the way, a bad tendency that a lot of gamers have, which is giving our money away before we're sure we're going to get any value out of it. Um, but that's a topic for another time. But what I will tell you is that there's problems. And it's not just with the faces. There's videos all over the internet of this test drive, so to speak, where you see odd character animations. Or the Now, this is a technical term for, for how they make game characters move. It's called rigging, right? So right. you've got a skeleton in the frame, and then the surface is mapped to that don't want to dive into that but rigging is very very important and very technical and very complex to it, it is mimic hard. actual lifelike animation well and that's why you use motion capture and there's a lot of techniques that we see used in movies and tv and, and video games but the thing i gotta say here is day one you if you're looking forward to a, the experience you're gonna have to go in with the idea that it may not look the way it's going to look in six months. Because, and here's the really hard part, to re-rig all of those animations is a lot of work. And the fact that the game has gotten to this point and it looks like this and nobody raised their hand, oh wait, actually, the community raised its hand about three months ago. When the first previews started to come out and everybody's like, hey, these characters, you know, they don't look as good as they did in Mass Effect 3, and that was five years ago. 
they look kind of soulless <laughs> and creepy. There's plenty of video of this, by the way. And and EA at the time, Bioware, EA, they're, you know, anyway, came out and said, oh, don't worry, man. We're fixing that. Don't worry. This is an alpha. This isn't beta. Yeah, we're getting, don't it's worry. early gameplay. Go play. ahead and pre-order, man. Go ahead. Give us your money. We'll give you an extra helmet. <laughs> Which is actually true. And so everybody kind of went along and said, oh, okay, you know, they Bioware's got a good reputation. They don't usually mess this up. Um, by the way, nobody has a perfect record forever. Yep. And I think a lot of people have departed Bioware since Mass Effect 3 came out. Uh, yes. Yeah. And there was a lot of uh, change to the culture of the organization. The absorption into Electronic Arts has had some play into that based on what we know. Um, but in this case, I just want to set up some expectations. And the note I have in my show notes, just to read it, I wouldn't do that with a bag on my head or hers. Now, that's very kind of sexist. It is, but you can have sex with everything in the game, just so everybody's clear. Yes. So there was a reason I went with that metaphor. Uh, here's hoping that they can fix this. But it's it once you see it, you can't unsee it. And your eye gets drawn to it. Now, the one thing I will say, the alien animation, where you're not expecting them to look like human beings, is good. I mean, even from the Mass Effect 3 to Mass Effect Andromeda, there's an enhancement in the way that the alien races look. And you believe them. They're more human. Yeah, but I mean, ultimately, is the animation going to pull you out of the game to the point where you don't want to play it? Is everything else going to be where you want it to the point where you don't notice it after a certain point? I'm not sure. Uh, for me, it's it's disconcerting. If I have to spend a long time talking to humans, and, and there's even one character, and in, in there's clips of this video early on that you meet, and she has a line that, that also leads to another one of the problems we've seen with Andromeda in its early stages which is really bad writing. She says, I'm sorry, I'm stressed, my face is frozen. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that. <laughs> I, I don't think most of us get away with that. But uh, So I don't want to harp on Andromeda too much. I'm still interested in where it's going, even after five hours. The combat is has been refreshed. It's a, it's a good third-person shooter. Um, they've added tons of crafting for those of you who want to waste your time crafting instead of enjoying a great story-driven game. game. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that, personally. It drives me nuts. I want to play a game and have this dramatic push and urgency that they always play up. But, oh, wait, i got to stop here, gather a bunch of rocks, and make a new gun. Your gun depleted. You need a new gun. You well, need to make each it, bullet. Well, <laughs> Yeah, you'd like a new mod for your gun because <laughs> the enemies you're now fighting are immune to your former bullets. Now, I mean, so there's a reason, it, and there's a lot of people who like that kind of stuff. And if you like it, it's in there. I guess maybe you don't have to. I mean, you could keep buying new guns. Uh, the only other thing that I want to add before we move on to the next one, because this is the first quick hit. Not so quick. Yeah, not so quick. We we got we'll get this down. Is the driving for the vehicle. The Mako in the original Mass Effect was known for being a horrible experience. 
the new one, at least on the PC, I feel like I need another hand to properly drive it. Oh, wow. Because the mouse is tied to your view, and your keyboard, in my case, is how I drive with the direction keys. Mm -hmm. So I have to make sure to keep my mouse pointed towards the nose. It -hmm. doesn't snap. It isn't like I can just use the mouse to look left or right or zoom in and zoom out. It's free roaming. So you can drive forward, look backwards, and steer into a wall. And when you turn, it doesn't reorient the camera. Oh, so it's that's dumb. I'll leave it up to people to decide whether that's dumb. My opinion is what? Yeah. I don't I don't that doesn't make sense. That's I mean, I was intuitive. expecting something more like and and this is a famously hard to control vehicle too. The warthog, right? <laughs> <laughs> Traction? No. Well, there's six wheels on this bus. It should have traction. And they're independent suspension, and it, it's pretty. I'll go with that. So the, the environments are gorgeous. Animations? Wonky. Gameplay's better. Driving? Yeah. Anyway. All right. So what's our next topic? Our next topic? Well, actually, I... Your your final decision on Andromeda is basically for a triple A game. It looks like I think it's not underbaked. enough polish. Yeah, I think it's underbaked. Okay. Um, our next topic is Marvel's Iron Fist. Yeah, that came out on Netflix about the same time we we're recording this. Actually, on the Friday before we record this, and this is the last in the build up to the Defenders on Netflix. This is the Netflix line of Marvel shows. Yeah, it's not the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is, but it doesn't want to commit to that. It references it, and that's a whole other topic for debate. Actually, I, I've seen about half of Iron Fist at this point. They do mention the big green guy and his YouTube hits. That's their direct mention to the Marvel Universe. Uh, they talk about the Daredevil for like in a throwaway line when yep. uh, Iron Fist climbs a building and, and sneaks into this guy's secret lair. Um, I'm not really giving any spoilers here. No. Um, so th- it's the same thing. But the one thing that they don't really talk about, which I was hoping we'd see more of, at least up to this point, no one in New York seems to be aware of the other Marvel street-level Netflix heroes other than Daredevil. So Luke Cage is not really well-known, which makes sense, but he's in prison right now. Yeah, and, and most of the shows have happened chronologically in, in terms of release dates. So Daredevil came out, Jessica Jones came out and referenced events from Daredevil, Daredevil Season, season two, 2 came yeah. out, Luke Cage came out and referenced events from Daredevil Season 2, um, and now we're in the last of those. Um, and they are, it, they maintain that. Yeah. So the one binding element is the character of Claire. Claire the, Temple. Claire Temple, the night nurse. Uh, who premiered in the first Daredevil season as a potential love interest and has been a potential love interest all the way up to Luke Cage. Well, maybe not for Jessica, yeah. but you get kind of where yeah. I'm going there. Yeah. Um, and then Danny Rand is not her potential. But they do introduce Colleen Wing, who is a character a lot of fans of the... Uh, I, I'm trying to think what the Heroes for Hire is what they used to call this group of heroes um, in the Marvel Universe. And uh, so we have, we're have we one step closer to getting that Misty Knight, Colleen Wing offshoot series. And Misty Knight was kind of one of the breakout characters in Luke Cage. 
not that Luke Cage wasn't a great character, but there were a lot of times that I felt Misty stole the scene. Absolutely. And so in the comic books, which just doesn't mean anything, Misty and Colleen are partners. Not romantic partners. Just they go out and kick crime together. Crime fighting partners. Crime fighting. Well, they're mercenaries, kind of. Heroes for hire. That's yep. that whole thing. Um, and they're called the Daughters of the Dragon. And there is a throwaway line in Iron uh, Fist about Colleen, or, yeah, Colleen when she's fighting in a cage match. And he goes, well, who are you? And she goes, well, you can call me the Daughter of the Dragon. So all the mutant, or not mutant, Marvel fanboys are probably like- squeeing at this point. So you haven't seen any of it yet, have you? I No, I have not watched Iron Fist. I've seen everything up until that point. Um, but let's let's talk about what the critics are saying. The critics of the first six episodes of Iron Fist have been pretty, let's say, Luke Cage warm. Um, <laughs> God, that's horrible. Uh, oh, oh. I can't believe you did that. And so, you know, I don't have much history on the character, but a lot of people are saying, you know, we're seeing a white guy who knows martial arts. Why don't we see more Asian representation in this series? Sean, do you have anything to comment on that? Um, I do. Should I is a better question. <laughs> the bigger reason I say that is, for those who don't know, I'm a white male. If I were lost in the Himalayas and disappeared for 15 years and came back and I had stories of being raised by monks in, a, in, in an extra-dimensional monastery. Normal. That would be very strange, right? I mean, beyond strange. There's, there's lots of reasons for that to be strange. Not only it's an extra dimension, I should be dead, I now have superpowers. I don't want the Iron Fist superpowers, by the way. They're kind of, eh. Meh. At least in the show, they're kind of, eh. He can only do it once or His twice His fist a day. gets bigger in every episode. It doesn't get... No, it doesn't. <laughs> that would be a condition he would need to get checked out. In season three, it's the size of a house. <laughs> and he can't move. He's locked down so to his position. The reason I, 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 I shouldn't comment is I am not in a position to understand that. Cultural appropriation comment. Yeah, and I mean, the show, I mean, the, the comic, it, it is true to the comic, right? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. it has that going for it. Um, but I mean, I think a lot of critics have focused on that, especially for the show. And I think they're trying to find something controversial to talk about. Yeah. This is kind of a by-the-numbers superhero show at this point. It's an origin season. So let's just say this. If you had to compare it to Daredevil... And season two, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, which I think a lot of people say Jessica Jones and Luke Cage are the standouts out of everything that's come out so far. Daredevil season one was much more appreciated than season two. Yep. Um, Where does this fit in that spectrum? Well, and with Daredevil season two is really a test drive for the Punisher, right? I agree with that stacking. I would say that Iron Fist, at the point I'm at, right, we haven't gotten, I haven't gotten to the end. I'm about halfway through. I would say that uh, Iron Fist is definitely right in the middle. Okay. It, it's not as good as, and my favorite is Jessica Jones. I think that is absolutely, hands down, the best series of the bunch. 
the story, the impact, the acting, everything. Just I love it. Yeah. Uh, Luke Cage, I love for a completely different reason. Yeah, I think I think Daredevil was the most stereotypical out of those shows. The thing that you expected and was what you got. Yeah. And then Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, I think, were the ones that actually took the superhero genre and moved it to a character-based show. Well, and to this point, only one of these characters is a superhero. Yep. And that's Daredevil. Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Danny Rand, Iron Fist, are not gallivanting around in custom leather outfits. They're not out riding wrongs no. in a costume. They're it's doing personal all things. Circumstantial. Well, it, there's a little bit more than that. Yeah. Right. So they're, and they make this point. And this is why I think some of the cultural appropriation stuff is, eh, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of it. Because the point is made that. Danny comes back after 15 years to a company his father founded and it's not a great place. It's not making great things happen in the world. And he's very idyllic in many ways. And he says, you know, there's this one scene where they're talking about marketing a uh, cure for like an influenza like virus. And he's in the boardroom. He's got 51% of the voting stock. And they basically come back and go, well, we're going to mark it up $100 a pill. And then we're going to sell it and we're going to make a profit. But everybody who really needs it will get it. Don't worry about it. And he goes, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to sell it at cost because this can save lives. Well, let's think about the world we live in. And they're trying to draw this parallel. And I, I was going to say they... that's that's happened in the recent year with uh, Martin Screlly or that and guy his, and his yeah. company. Well, and, and I think there's a direct parallel there. And they're trying to show that Danny is a good guy and he's idealistic and he doesn't understand how business works and he's fighting against this evil, corrupt corporation from the inside. And it turns out that it actually is an evil, corrupt corporation that's been polluted from the inside. And that's kind of the through line in the series. Again, I don't want to give too much detail for those of you who are looking forward to watching it. But I think that's pretty painted on the wall if you watch the previews. That Rand Enterprises isn't quite as um, noble as it as Danny interpreted that it was when he was a kid. Right. And that's the story, right? And But... The thing is that this ties back in better than most of the other series. So the things that happened in Daredevil Season 2 with the hand play directly into what Danny is doing. Because his role as the Iron Fist is to be the opponent of the hand who destroys them and, and defends this pocket dimension of Kunlun where he was raised by monks. Not Earth, by the way. Not New York City. He's not on earth to destroy the hand he just didn't want to be the iron fist anymore right so that's the story right how does he come back to who he is and all that so, so where do where does this take us for the future what do you think based on what i've told you you haven't seen it yet so it... i haven't seen it i'm more excited for the defenders to see how all these characters interact with each other and they've they've kind of alluded that uh, the Iron Fist is going to be the, sort of the center of the group. Yeah, I'm not sure how you do that. Right. So uh, that's why I want to see it. Um, you know, I, I usually go into all these series with an open mind. I didn't hate Daredevil Season 2 as much as a lot of people did. Um, Hate's you know, a strong word. It, some people really did not like it. just did not sit well with them. Hmm. Um, 
I don't know if it's it's because it threw too many of the other elements from yeah. Daredevil into the yep. show instead of sort of the uh, more grounded in reality. And you know, well, the, you definitely got the mystical stuff, right? You're right with the hand and its demons, supernatural and... stuff, and there was the whole uh, Electra, which again, in the comics, I think. Th- that portrayal of that character was leaps and bounds above what we saw in, in the last movies. Two movies, yeah, yeah. those horrible movies. Um, I don't know. So again, still optimistic. Yeah. Okay. So you're still you're still on the train. Yeah, I'm still on the train for the defenders. Um, you know, rating all of Marvel shows. Shield. They've got the Netflix series. Shield be... still on. What's that? Yeah, Agents of <laughs> Shield is actually still a show. And I would say this past season has been leaps and bounds of past, above the past two. My problem with Agents of the Shield is that the programming and when it airs and the breaks between episodes. Really? It, yeah, because they're, they're in another break now and we're not going to get it until April. I, that's the great thing about the Netflix series. You can consume them when you want. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm optimistic. Uh, I'm, I can't wait to watch it. Um, I'm sure I'll have more thoughts for our next quick hits about it. We can retouch on it, but. All right. Let's move on to the future. Let's talk about Dungeons and Dragons, Sean. Are you familiar with this? It's a game. Uh, no. Uh, you play it on a table with a character, you know, a bunch of friends. You pretend to be characters. You kind of assume their role. You might call it role playing. Um, they're coming out with a new app called Beyond, and it's you know going to kind of help digitalize a formally pen and paper, pencil and paper, in your mind game. Um, let's discuss. Okay. I have a deep and long history. Of with... ruining people's games. Well, I don't ruin the <laughs> games. I'm running the games. Well, I think that that's not mutually exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Jared has had the pleasure of... Uh, Dealing with my bizarre methods of running role-playing games. I don't call them bizarre. I mean, I've only had one example, maybe two examples of sort of role-playing games. You know, we've I've done some one-offs with some friends. Um, I wouldn't call it bizarre. You try to actually build a world and describe what's going on and lead people to run that experience. You're not You're not dictating what's happening. You're kind of, you do a good job of, leading people to the experience you will then say what happens as an action of uh as a result of their actions but yeah. i become the arbiter of the right. world but the the D beyond app is meant to be a digital augmentation so it's one of the big things that people often get struggle with get get struggled that's not a get thing. struggled friends <laughs> <laughs> often often struggle with is kind of the administration of role-playing games there's a lot of things to keep track of right yeah i mean uh you know and they've simplified that since when you first started and oh, the numbers. well i i started way back in <laughs> first edition dungeons and dragons we we were sitting on the playground in third grade didn't understand none of us read the rules we just rolled dices and decided what happened but it's, it's like monopoly did dices? you ever play monopoly as a kid and then you were playing so late that you got tired of playing the game or dinner was happening or you needed to go outside or what. And you're like, oh, we're not finishing this game Monopoly. Let's write down exactly where everybody is, <laughs> how much currency they have, and put everything into Ziploc bags. You didn't do that? No. <laughs> we did that. No, I didn't have um, 
the wherewithal to control my attention span <laughs> to that extent, at least not as a kid. Uh, so, I, I mean, did, it's, you're playing ongoing. It's it, And there's a lot to carry over and remember where you are and, yeah. you know, using, you know, outside of keeping a journal, which some characters, players choose to do, <laughs> um, it's hard to keep track of where you are, what you're capable of doing when you gain things. Yeah, it, it's it's you have to learn game systems, right? Just like you do when you're playing Final Fantasy on a video game. And and as as I play Final Fantasy, every Final Fantasy I've started and quit in the middle, because I you start it back up, play. and I'm like, <laughs> so I gotta start from the beginning because I don't remember anything. Yeah, hopefully it's not like that for D and D for you. But one of the cool things about this Beyond app is that it was only announced like two weeks ago. And they're supposedly going into open beta next week. So we've gone from absolutely no digital tool to help manage characters of an official sort. Yeah, there have been plenty of third-party apps, but they haven't really kept up. And And One of the big ones being Hero Lab, and and then there's Fantasy Grounds, which has a license to do adventures, and it manages characters and stuff. But that's And we see a lot of these, right? So there's a big trend right now in the Twitch community of people watching other people play role-playing games. Right. Specifically voice actors playing voice role-playing games because they can do cool voices and they're actors. And that sounds so much more interesting than the four or five of us sitting around a table. Except it's not. I mean, if, if you're one of the people listening to this who's never actually played, I want to encourage you to find somebody, go to your local game store if you can find one because they're not always easy to find, and see if you can you know, get into one of the D&D Adventure League games and just try it out. Um, you don't have to be a Hollywood voice actor to have fun. It's, it's make-believe with rules, and when it comes to finding good mentors and good people, good storytellers, that's what you want to do. And what I always tell people is when I introduce them to D&D, you're the storyteller just as much as the guy making up the game. It's it's the responsibility of everybody at the player to, right. to have a good time. It's called role-playing. Yeah. And it helps people who are sometimes not comfortable talking as themselves to talk out in another way. Yep. And but, some, some characters, some players play as themselves. Some characters choose something completely And different. it's okay. We don't always have to be the... Uh, drama kids <laughs> who change their voice and and, ha- and do method acting to to play these games. I just play a much more exaggeration uh, exaggerated version of myself where I'm just grumpy all the time, and I am grumpy all the time. But I'm even grumpier when I play. I can attest to that. <laughs> Doesn't leave for a whole lot of dramatic hooks sometimes, so I have to force things on you, yeah. like the fact that your yeah. dwarf is not from a mountain. Hey, dwarves come from all places. Yeah, not historically. It's a. Oh, now we're gonna get the history. Well, my my an, my dwarven ancestors were brought over here. <laughs> yes, we landed on this island. Uh, so, if, for those of you who play D anD D, if you haven't heard about Beyond, look for it. It's something to help digitize character sheets, help game masters, dungeon masters, whatever you want to call them. Um, optimize encounters and there's aids and stuff like that. We don't know what it's going to cost. We don't know if there's a co- there's going to be a cost of component. Uh, a component. Let's try that again. 
but it it it's something that I it's about time. Wizards of the Coast, who owns D and D, which is Hasbro, has tried this a few times with D and D three point five, D and D three, D and D five, D and D four, and and we'll see if it succeeds. It, they tend to get in and get out and and kind of abandon their folks around them. So I don't know. I'm I'm kind of interested in it, but at the same time, I have tools that do it already. We'll need to see how robust it is, right? I mean, if it's another half-baked app that keeps track of half of what you need. And, and only uses the rules that yeah. are in the rule book. Yeah, that'd be great. Because that's a big problem for people who they create their expand. own worlds. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to wait, I think. Yeah. Um, in the interest of time, since these are the quick hits and we're 40 minutes in... <laughs> That's pretty quick. That's not quick at all. I want to hit one more. I think we're yeah. going to drop number four on our no. list. <laughs> no, okay. We'll talk about it. Okay. Lead. Ready? It's yours. The Switch. The Nintendo Switch. The Tricky Switch. The Tricky Switch. So, I wanted to talk about Nintendo's launch. Um, kind of what's there, what's not there um, for a console launch. It's pretty basic. It is. Uh, the online component isn't there because there are very few online games. Um, they're going to be moving to a paid model for their online subscription, sort of like PlayStation Network, Xbox Live. You know, that's okay if there's something you valuable. Right. And that's historically been a pain point for Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, but they've I, offered I'm, it I'm free. holding back my... Uh, there's Nintendo nothing there. perspective, but on this. I would say uh, Splatoon for the Wii, the yep. Wii U. I'm sorry, had, was a great experience. Except it didn't have very many basic things that you'd expect, like joining a game with friends, creating a group. All of these things that we take for granted, Nintendo is still um, not figuring out. You know what? I love the way this conversation is going. <laughs> because in my notes, it says, Discussion of the Switch launch, good and bad issues. Jared's fanboy view versus Sean's cynical perspective. Oh, wait. I'll switch I haven't modes. had to say anything. No, I'll switch to fanboy mode. First off, this thing is amazing because I can take The Legend of Zelda from the TV to the toilet in a seamless experience. Poor Link. What? Poor Link? <laughs> No, I mean, it. its hook is obvious. Um, unlike the Wii U with the gamepad, it is a system mm-hmm. that is portable. Yeah. You take it anywhere. You know, they've marketed it as a home console, not a handheld device. But it's really the Game Boy Ultra. <laughs> the game, the, the, I'm sorry, it's the Nintendo Do Wii, Wii Us. Us. Yes. So we came up with this the other night when we were joking about this. So you have the Wii... The Wii U. Then the Wii U. And now you have the... And I'm going to say why it's the us. It's the ultra screen. Yep. So it's the Wii. Well, it's us. It's also the unis screen. They went from the DS, the dual screen, to one screen. It's bigger. So if you were looking for a really confusing brand that you could slap <laughs> on a Nintendo product... Hey, they fixed that, right? It's the Nintendo Switch. It's not a Wii. It's not a Wii U. It's, we're it's... changing the dynamic. It's a <laughs> Switch. Exactly. Oh, my God. I... Again, from a base system, there there isn't a, a wide launch of games. I am not going to trust my nine-year-old child, which I don't have. It is any. not for children. Let's be clear about that. This With is not... a $399 console. Like the games, the on-TV experience, the Joy-Cons, sure. 
fine for kids. The fact that you can take this out of a slot and it's no bigger than a size of a Kindle. And okay, it, that's cool. That's that's troublesome for people with children. Yes. And those are very expensive pieces of hardware. Because the console is the screen. It's but, not separate. But let's let's take the children out of this. Let's okay. just talk about the risk of damage to those devices regardless. As an adult, I sometimes, mostly when I'm drinking, fall over. <laughs> if I fall over and I'm holding this because I'm focused on this screen, right? Just like people do with their cell phones all the time. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think it's an argument against it because that's except what it you is. can't easily take it to a Best Buy or someplace like that and get it repaired. You have to ship it back. No, this is where I'm going to get into my cynic view. Okay, you have to ship it back to Nintendo. By the way, all your content, all the games you've bought, all your save games are absolutely locked to that piece of hardware. Okay, can I touch on that real quick? Sure. The content is linked to your Nintendo account. They fixed that finally. Um, However, you're correct in the save games. They don't have a solution for that. Again, it's another thing that you would expect there to be at launch to back up your save files, to move them to a different console, or have cloud saving, right? Um, it's not there. Now, the whole argument of, I've got to take it to a Best Buy or send it directly to Nintendo. Let's talk about the uh, Xbox Red Ring. Or oh, no, no. I, I, I beat them up at the time, too. That has been historically a problem with An consoles. engineering defect yeah. in a product requires you to send it off. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Get that. The issue is, this is first-generation hardware. There's already conversations about subcontractor defects being forced into this life cycle. Day one, people are buying the dock, or had the dock, because it comes with it, right? Which right. was in a poorly manufactured piece of the equation. I think the dock itself is fine. I don't, I don't think it's poorly manufactured. Some of them have been. Well, I think that was shipping. Because you think they warped because of heat? It's or warped package? due to heat. It's basically think of a, like a file folder, right? You've mm-hmm. got a U shape. There's nothing in the middle to, to stop. Right, that's it where the thing compressing. is held. Um, if those sides collapse or get bent, yeah, there's going to be a problem. But it, it feels very cheap. All it is is a power supply and an output to a TV. And I, I still don't understand the design. What which part? Uh, the, the the slotting in the middle of the thing the I, I, I haven't touched one right so you you're the I Nintendo fanboy I should have brought it here yeah no it, it works great it it cradles in there and the idea is you can grab it from every edge and pull it out I haven't had a problem with it I think that's an over criticization okay that a word? fair enough I think I think people are looking so, it's so Nintendo he, and I'm, as a Nintendo fanboy I can tell you people always look for well, it doesn't have 70 teraflops. Hold on, of... hold on. I'm going to go with a it doesn't have thing that you can't refute. Okay. It doesn't have any games. Oh, <laughs> oh there's seven. I'm sorry. No, I would think the, the... Oh, and indie games, which most people don't play. No, people play those. That's... Who? <laughs> Who plays that? I only play AAA games where I can I mean, come on. in the head. It didn't cost $60. It's not worth You know, the brain physics in Zelda where you splatter against their head against the wall are just really outdated. No, I, there are games. <laughs> there are plenty of games for it. Some, now you have to keep in mind, um, yeah. There's plenty of games. How do you define plenty? Well, hold on. Quality over quantity. Let's say that. So three games. There are not three games. 
You're right. They're not. There's Zelda. What, well, which is which the is only the obvious, game which, that you... Which, let's go back. It's a system seller, which we'll get into. Except it's also available on the Wii U. But that's the problem the Wii U had. And we'll come back to it. this, by we'll the come way. Back. I think we'll come back to that, but nobody bought the Wii U. That's you and I did. We're not typical. <laughs> I think that a lot of people fun. didn't buy the Wii U because yeah. of confusing things. So, you know, some of the biggest sellers for Nintendo sold their smallest sell points because the install base was so small. Yeah, that's true. So I don't have a problem with them re-releasing games on the Switch because I think they're going to sell again. I think it's going to, I think the. Con- so people are going to borrow Mario or buy Mario Kart 8 again. Yeah, I think so. We'll see. I, I think the people that bought Switch day one, which were probably Wii U owners or people that were really excited against Zelda, are going to buy that game again. Um, I that think, doesn't sound like a sustainable business model to me. But that it's not. it doesn't need to be sustainable day one. I think what you're going to see is just a constant stream of games that come out to it. And then people are going to get Are we really going to see a constant stream of games? There's no indication in Nintendo's... Hundred year history. <laughs> I I disagree with that. The GameCube had a constant stream of games. The Wii had a constant stream of games At, for a while. For the first three or four years. Yeah, and but there was no. You saw third party developers very quickly abandon. That's always that's the always an argument with Nintendo. There's no third party games, and I would actually tell you there's the Wii U. Yep, Nintendo's first party software titles were pretty sparse, but there are plenty of indie titles on that. I think console. what two games came out last year for the Wii U. I mean, uh, there was more than that, but no, it didn't feel I think like... it was two. <laughs> if you don't count Zelda, yeah, yeah, uh, Zelda I, came out this year. So. It's just I don't know. I don't want to beat this more because I, I, everybody is always very criticized, or they they heavily criticize Nintendo every console. And is that because they're so awesome? Everybody has. A love of Nintendo to some degree. They Everybody? Love... I think that might be an overstatement. Well, a lot of people do. Whether it be in the past or now, everybody has a, a feeling of a Nintendo game or a console that they enjoyed at some point. Okay. Yeah. Right. I... Whether it be all the way back to the NES. But nostalgia doesn't sustain you. It is is the cup of air that you want to taste like wine. Says the guy that was excited about Mass Effect 4. and guess what it's been a bitter cookie to eat at this point again I think the Switch let's talk at the end of the year and see what's there because we haven't even been to E3 yet this console was abnormal it launched in winter yeah Um, outside of cycle which usually shows they don't want to go to head to head Nintendo never goes head to head they don't they don't do it they don't compete on many different levels that other consoles do. They're not going to come out with a Switch Pro. They'll come out with a new Switch. <laughs> I was going to say the new Switch, new, new, new Switch XL. New Switch XL. Or DS. Switch but DS with two screens. I think it's too early to say. Yeah, um, I, I think you're right. If you wanted to base this on past console launches, let's say mm-hmm. Wii, Wii U, we have a game, which we'll talk about shortly, that is critically acclaimed beyond anything Nintendo's released in the past 10 years. True. Which will bring back the base. Hmm. I There are people talking about this game that would not be there for Nintendo games. My view is until there are at least 
four unique games that I can't play anywhere else, and I see evidence that third-party publishers are going to continue to support the platform, I'm not giving them $400. It's only $300, Sean. $300 MRP. But you need the Pro Controller. That's another 65 <laughs> That's 80 actually. Or 80 yeah. So we can... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, wow. Yeah. Let's move on. Okay. Let's talk about The Expanse. Oh, The Expanse. And uh, what is The Expanse? Because I have no idea what it is. I don't... Is it a show? So it, it's actually... It is a show. It's on sci-fi. Uh, what's what's sci-fi? It's what used to be the sci or Siffy. I'm sorry, not sci-fi. Oh, Siffy. 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 Short for syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> or Sisyphus, if you want to get really educated. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, so it's based on a series of science fiction novels called uh, the Expanse Universe, right? And originally was a treatise for an online ro- online role playing game. Right, the background was written, and basically was proposed as an online role playing game, and they didn't buy the game. Right, nobody picked it up, and all that stuff was still sitting around. And the writer said, "Hey, well, I'll run one on a bulletin board, like a tabletop RPG set okay. in this universe." And out of that, he and a partner who was a player in the game, both of which are professional writers, decided to write novels in this universe because they both loved it so much okay and those novels they're on the fifth novel now um have come out pretty regularly and they set up this kind of near future hard science fiction setting and it's it's rife it's full of political political situations there's factions you have earth you have mars you have the outer belts which are exploited by both Earth and Mars, so they're kind of a lower class. Um, people who rely on Earth and Mars to give them oxygen and food and all that, right? And so Earth is kind of idyllic because it benefits from all this stuff, and Mars is in the process of being terraformed. So they're focused wholly on this giant engineering project. Their entire culture is focused on that. It's very militaristic, ironically, because it's Mars. And... Uh, the it's about the kind of the the un, unsteady balance between these three cultures in earth and then something really bad happens right uh, there's a corporation that is experimenting with this technology that they find and it's alien technology it's not technology from earth and that sets off all of this stuff the main characters are kind of this a band of rebels, Firefly-ish, right? So you've okay. got, you know, this... And they're a mix of Earth, Mars, and the Belt. Um, well, all I can say about it is, is I've been really excited about this because I love the books. And the first season was last year. There was, uh, I think it's 10 episodes. And it was on sci-fi. And it kind of told the first three quarters of the first novel. Okay. Fairly consistently, they added some backstory. They've expanded the universe. Things that didn't happen in the novel but did happen in the world. Um, So it's really cool. They're working hand-in-hand with the novelists. Season 2 has basically taken it up three notches. The problem is it's on a broadcast, well, cable, right? Extended cable. uh, Network. And who watches extended cable? People used to. 
people, we used to. People, so the days of Battlestar Galactica, right? Where uh, sci-fi really did a bad job of keeping their viewers. They got rid of all their shows that people were watching. Well, they didn't get rid of them as much as they became expensive and couldn't support it with the ad revenue. Let's right. be frank about that. Yeah, if, I mean, if, from a business standpoint, you know, they, they killed even... Stargate, which was their big series. Stargate, Warehouse 15, 13. 13. All those other sort of yeah, which shows. had a following, but again, we we were in the Nielsen era of advertising, right? The only way they could measure was the Nielsen box. If you weren't a Nielsen family, it didn't matter what you did. Sci-fi has also historically been the home of such hits as Sharknado, Sharknado Two, Sharknado Three, Mega Octopus versus Super Shark. That I made that one up. I, I think uh, half of them. Actually, it. that's a thing. <laughs> Robot Shark versus... Uh... No, that one's made up. The other one was actually... It was Megalodon, not Super Shark. But um, So he... the point here is is that they've been this distributor for really bad horror, science fiction, low-budget, kind of Blue Moon-style shows and, and movies. But then they're also trying to put out high-quality stuff. Well... For a while there, the parent company didn't want them doing anything that was expensive. Science fiction, to put it on TV, is expensive. Yep. You need sets, there's prosthetics, there's special, special effects. effects. I mean, special effects are a lot cheaper today than they were 20 years ago. But they still try to push them so they don't look like they came out 10 years ago. Yes. Yeah. Try and watch Babylon 5 today, you know, and you're like, ugh. Looks worse than a PS1. I think that's a Snapchat filter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the thing I wanted to, to bring up with this really is that this is a series. If you're a fan of science fiction, you like adventure, and and the reason I really like it is they have tied real or as close as they can. Right? There's still an element of fantasy to this because we don't actually go out into the stars and mine the asteroid belts or anything, but there is this entire universe that is so well thought out and it uses real world physics and they do a really good job of that. And the characters are, are really interesting and there's, if you haven't watched it, the first few episodes are slow. It takes time to build like any good story. They have to set up the universe by the time you get to season two. It's amazing. And I, not enough people are watching it. It did just get picked up for season three. Okay. So if it's not too late to jump on on the wagon. And the first season is on Amazon Prime. So if you want to catch up, you can easily do it. If you have Amazon Prime. I, I've heard good things about the show, the people that still watch sci-fi shows. I've, I'm still resentful at their cancelization of uh, Stargate um, Universe Season yep. 2. It just made me mad because actually my wife and I were talking about Stargate. If you want to talk about a show that had an established lore, characters, and built upon Well, it ran for a decade. Yeah, but you had a a spinoff and then a completely, you know. And it wasn't Star Wars or Star Trek. And it was based in quote unquote modern day, which Mm -hmm. a lot of sci-fi doesn't do a lot of that anymore. Um, And I I think they took what I call a mediocre movie. (laughs) <laughs> no i guys. absolutely agree. that movie i stargate the movie was so mediocre they took that and said oh yeah that happened there's the root 
of a good idea here. Yeah, exactly. They but they didn't they didn't just completely abolish that. Yeah. And that was a sports update. Yeah. Don't worry about it. DC United are playing the Columbus <laughs> crew right now. Um they took that and then built upon it. Um I yeah, you're fine. It's muted. <laughs> and they just stopped it. And there's been talks this year of rebooting the movie that got canceled, but they, they've left that whole franchise out there that had a really large fan base. Well, and there's politics behind that and money. It's about MGM and Sony, and, and we won't dive into that. Yeah. Because I don't want us to get off track. Well, the point here is go watch The, the Expanse. Expanse. It's okay. a great show. Go watch Expanse. Okay. Our last not-so-quick hit is Odd Game Pairings. Like... So- Tetris and a fine red red wine. They don't go to hand. They don't drink wine when you're playing. Is that what you're I, talking I about? I can't imagine trying to drink wine <laughs> while playing Tetris. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who do it. A cheese platter. This is not where I'm with going. This is not wars. about what goes with your shoe. Oh, you said odd game pairings. I thought, okay. <laughs> no. What do you mean? What I'm talking about here is there's there's this weird tendency right now, especially with the, the, the Switch. Oh, the Nintendo Switch? Yeah, we keep talking about this. But... To for everybody go such and such game is not coming to the Switch, and I'm like, whoever thought it was. And my prime example here is a is a news headline that I saw earlier today, which was, hey, newsflash, Conan Exiles is not coming to the Nintendo Switch. But let's back up, Sean. Let's talk about third party support on a Nintendo platform. Why isn't it coming? If why isn't Nintendo able to play Call of Duty? Why isn't Nintendo, the Nintendo Switch, able to play Overwatch? That's a great question. <laughs> because I, I don't think we're, and to your point earlier, we're not through our first cycle. The game launched, or the system launched, out of the track that the industry follows. Right. Most of the games we're getting right now were games that were originally announced for the end of last year that have slid because it always happens. Right. There's a few that have slid further or were planned for January, February and didn't come out till March, April. But traditionally... But, but the Nintendo Switch isn't going to get every game. It's it's going to oh have... Oh, no. It, if you looked at a, a Venn diagram... Oh, God. Oh, God. Did I, did I confuse you with diagrams? Go on. Xbox One, yeah. PlayStation Four are gonna they're gonna overlap quite a bit, and PC is gonna overlap into those. Yes, and the Switch is gonna overlap slightly Hmm. into that Venn diagram. This imaginary Venn diagram I've put into your heads that you. No, I can see it very clearly. I understand. But you know what what I mean? Like the the dynamic of games on the Switch are going to be much different. So this brings us to the root of the question. Is it because the hardware is not capable? Is it because Nintendo doesn't have the faith of the third party publishers to invest time in either unique development or a port? Or is it because they just don't really care? I think it's a mix of they don't care. They've worked with third-party support much more than they have for the Wii U. But I also think the people that are going to be drawn to a Nintendo console 
mm-hmm. and Nintendo's first party titles are generally a different subset. So you don't think they're the type of people who play mainstream Ark mainstream gamers or Minecraft? No, I think they're. I, Minecraft is actually going to be point, on the right? Switch, right? Even though Microsoft owns it, <laughs> right? Which is crazy, but um, no, I don't. I don't think. I think you're going to see those ubiquitous games, but the first-person shooters, you're not going to go there for the. Switch. I don't think the experience would be very good. Just in, from a graphical fidelity. Um, I think if you can't assume that your install base has the pro controller and you have to play with the micro joy cons and the reactions and the syncing issues and, and in some of the, just the physics involved with those controllers don't lend themselves. They don't have two thumbsticks. They don't have well, the, the kind of common interface language that first person shooters have kind of, they required. do have thumbsticks. You're not you're not going to be playing split screen first person shooters on the Switch. I think we can all agree I, about that. Exactly. You're and not going to so be playing. If the primary thing that you're trying to sell that platform for is the the cooperative game or the split experience, yeah, but you're going to see other games that you're not seeing on other consoles. Mario Kart. Where's the other multiplayer racing game on console or uh, PC? Gran Turismo and Forza? Uh, those are not split screen. Well, they're not. But they're multiplayer racing games. Online. Yeah. I think Nintendo's going to have that. Hmm. So well, I, you can. I, I mean, when you're rendering little I don't think online's the problem. I think go-karts. there's this idea of split screen, split screen gaming. Yeah. I think Nintendo's more dedicated to it than most. Well, and we've seen that Microsoft abandoned it. Right, so the latest Halo doesn't include but split screen. Admitted that as a fault. Yes, They're, they've said Halo but, Six is going to have it. Uh, Activision, Bungie, right? Destiny is not a split screen game. Nope, won't be. I don't think. Nope. I mean, Destiny Two, we don't know anything about yet. We know it's coming out, but we don't know much. I I don't know. I don't want to harp on this point because we actually are supposed to get to our main topic. But yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to defend the Switch. I'd rather spend my time. Uh, gushing over our topic. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, but the point of somebody even thinking a game like Conan, Conan yeah, I, which is an M-rated survival game. But I think that's the problem with what people think Nintendo is and should be. Hmm. Nintendo did fine during the Wii. They did okay during GameCube. They did great during the 64. They're not in trouble of going under anytime soon. If nothing else, they can print cards. Exactly. Or little toys. <laughs> they make a lot of money off the toys. <laughs> but everybody thinks that it's the end of days when Nintendo launches a new console. People said the same thing before Sega got out of the console market. Yeah. And oh, wait. Sega's not really putting no, out games. No, they're not. Uh, well, they're going to make two Sonic games this year. Yeah, Sonic Force, which <laughs> I'm not sure. But well. to me, like... Nintendo doesn't have to sell as much as a PS4. Okay. If Because Nintendo... they're already profitable day one, that whole piece. They don't overinvest in hardware. Right. They don't do too much marketing. And Nintendo and I I published an article about this. Nintendo has always done something what they call lateral technology. Okay. Where they're not utilizing high end stuff. They're utilizing mediocre or very common technology today to make mm-hmm. a profit on it. Okay. Right. The Switch again. It's it's, not, co- it's, it's consumer hardware, yeah. right? 
And, and it doesn't require special engineering. If the experience is there, which we'll get into one experience, does it matter? Hmm. I don't know. I think it's a good time for us to hit our mid-break. All right. And give us a chance to drink more of the um, bourbon. Okay. Because I'm not drinking. Ready for this? <sighs> yeah, actually. So <laughs> it's funny. So I've come off as this great Nintendo cynic so far, right? Except, and I get painted with this brush a lot by my friends who've known me for decades. I think you play devil's advocate better than anybody I know. You're able to take a point and show the other side. Effectively, you represent the other side, even if it's not something you believe in. Well, and, and to some extent, I do believe what I said about the Switch, but I want to move into talking about the reason people should buy a Switch right now, and that is The Legend of Zelda. Breath of the Wild. Now, I want to let Jared lead this segment, because both of us have the game. Both of us have put multiple hours into it and some of us into a factor of 10 probably by now. <laughs> um, and, and, and I think it's important that you get kind of Jared's view and then I'll come back in with mine because I, I'll just point blank it right now. I love this game. But, Jared, you're on. <laughs> oh, you haven't set anything up. Um, <laughs> I'm still formulating... My opinion about Breath of the Wild. So how not, many hours are in are you? I'm 70 plus hours in. 70 hours in a game. And it came Which out is like, more than I've spent in any game probably since Skyrim. I think Skyrim is the closest equivalent to the amount of time invested. Skyrim coming to the Twitch. The Twitch. The Twitch Switch. Switch Twitch. <laughs> um, which I have gaming ADD. I love playing games, but my attention span... In investing in a game, if it's a great game, it's going to grab my attention. Otherwise, I'm going to move on to something else. Um, I, I still want to experience games, but I can get tired very quickly, and I want to move on to something else. You're also an adult with a day job. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I sometimes I a lot of people. I'm a I'm an avid gamer. I love gaming, but there are times where I don't play for a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um. But that has not been the case with Breath of the Wild. So let's let's back up a little bit. Sure, you're you're gushing. I, and I'm that's, sorry, I'm getting that's a cool. Excited. Uh, tell our listeners, those who may be living in a cave in Estonia, because I'm sure we're very popular there. Just we like have David already. I, I heard we're huge in New Zealand already. Wow, we're, this isn't even published yet. Yeah, that, that would be awesome. Um, set the scene. Tell us what what is. Let me, Breath let me, of the Wild about. So let's just talk about Zelda. Okay. Right? The series. The series. Everybody's played, well, again, I always say everybody. A lot of people have played Zelda. Zelda went from the original series of just putting you out in a world. And this is a game about F. Scott Fitzgerald's wife. Correct. Correct. Actually, true. Well. The name. 
That's where the name came from. That's where the entire story came from. You see, <laughs> F. Scott Fitzgerald was coming out of a bender. No. He was wandering around in the Poconos, and it, it's an adventure game yeah. in in the truest sense of the word. You're going on an adventure, and it hasn't been held to role playing as much as role playing games are. You're just it's an action adventure. You're going through an experience. You're getting items that do things and it's all about progressing and growing as a character every zelda you're growing before you go to the end but isn't link just a blank template there's not really a lot of character there and that's actually why he's named link for those that don't know he was actually named link to be a link to the player he is a blank slate um but let's set up breath of the wild every game in the zelda series up until this point has been a more it's progressed from a open-ended experience to a much more linear guided experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the original Legend of Zelda, it didn't tell you anything to do, anywhere to go. Um, you move to A Link to the Past, my personal favorite game of all time. And still, for the most part, it was linear in the beginning. You've skipped a few getting to A Link to the Past. By the I've way. only skipped one. Link, Adventures of Link. Yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> And again, it was open and it, it, it guided you at first and then brought you into the greater scheme of things. And then we moved to Ocarina of Time, which I, a lot of people think that's, that's their favorite Zelda. Mm-hmm. It's not mine. But that game, to me, was a much more restricted experience. It was a great experience. Was it about narrative? Telling a story? It told a story. Yeah, it absolutely. And it had to restrict the experience to tell that story. Um. And then you have Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, and the most recent up until today on a major Nintendo home console. So you're excluding all the Game Boy, games. DS, yeah. all those. Was Skyward Sword. Skyward Sword was the most restrictive experience in Zelda ever. The areas were very small. It was like, go here first. Let me know when you're done with that so we can go over here. You done with that? Now we're going to go over here. That doesn't sound fun. It was fun, but it wasn't open. It was it was a guided experience, and and that, that's not everybody's cup of tea. So what was the hook? Why would why would somebody spend a hundred hours playing that? They wouldn't spend a hundred hours playing that game. It's yeah. not that long. Okay, that's a good point. Um, and, and they would play it because it's Zelda, and it's still fun. And when 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 it works, it works great. The problem is. Games are not most mainstream games are not going that route anymore. They want you to play the way you want to play. The best games you've played are probably the ones where you played how you wanted to play it. It wasn't like you must use this for this. You must go over there. You have to go over here. It it it, it encourages you to explore. Okay. Okay. So I, I wouldn't say most games do that. Yeah, I think I, that there's I, a certain type of people who like those. Games. I say most and everyone you like those and everything. Games. You seek them because my worldview is tiny and I only live in a cave. Oh, I'm not picking on you, <laughs> Jared. I'm not. I'm making a point for the audience. No, no, you're you're absolutely right. Everybody has their favorite genre. First person shooters are again they're pretty guided experience for the most part. Mm-hmm. The ones that tell a narrative. Fair, right? What about about strategy games? Oh, wait, those are dying. Never mind. Move on. (laughs) Breath of the Wild is the first Nintendo game in a long time that says go. They don't hold your hand at all, which 
For most Nintendo games, they hold your hand. Press A to jump. Press A once more to do a double jump. <laughs> yeah, you can't see my face. So I'm like, okay. But most Nintendo games have kind of guided it because they want to be inclusive. Because their primary audience is children. <laughs> That's a whole other topic, Sean. <laughs> Just but, cynical. Here I am. Yeah. But, but, but the reason I bring that up plays exactly into what you're saying. The primary audience for a majority of the first-party Nintendo games are families and children. There's something different about this Zelda game. Yeah, it's I, still aimed at that audience. It's not it's not exclusive to that audience. And it it if you want help in the game, there are resources to find out how to do things eventually. <laughs> but it's like Minecraft. Minecraft's huge with kids. And when Minecraft first Minecraft cast craft? Yes, that when Minecraft first came out, it didn't tell you how to do anything. You had to it didn't tell out. you anything. Exactly. The Zelda Breath of the Wild is the exact same way. And it, and I would argue that Minecraft was big with a certain set until it started telling people what the recipes were. Yeah. People wanted that experience. Uh, people, I think, overall, mm-hmm. it is much more rewarding to figure something out on your own. Yep. Whether it was intentional or not. If you decide, oh, that worked? You feel smarter, whether whether the experience was guided that way or not. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have talked about the invisible hand. I think the invisible hand is present in Breath of the Wild. It guides you to certain areas. It pulls you into certain directions to tell an experience. But it doesn't it doesn't hold you back. If you don't want to go that way, you don't have to. So from a pure game design perspective, which is some of my background... I can tell you that that's present in an almost every game. The question is how visible and how yeah, obvious. Yeah, exactly. The invisible hand in past Nintendo titles wasn't so invisible. Right. You walk up into a wall, you can see clearly the, the field behind there. You can see a mountain. And you go, I want to go to that mountain. Oh, oh, I can't. No. But, you know, what's what's new about this entry is one of our talking points. What's different? What's What sets us apart? Well, this is one of the first titles where you don't need a hook shot to go over there. You don't need a boomerang to get this. It, you, can, you can play any place in any order you want. Other than the initial plateau, the first few hours of the game, where it kind of teaches you some basic tools through gameplay, after you get off that first hour or so, you can go directly to the final boss and nintendo had promoted that but it's absolutely true and it's really deadly it's really deadly but people <laughs> have beat the game in yeah 30 there, minutes. there are speed runs already yeah. which is for those who don't know a speed run is an idea that a gamer logs into a game and goes as fast as they can from the beginning of the game to the final confrontation exploiting whatever they have to do exploiting or playing it without exploits there's multiple sort of that's true. Runs, there are but... some games where people don't do exploit runs. But they're like, I think the minimum time is like four minutes and 60 seconds or something. It's something crazy. And I don't even know how you do that because I'm played the game and I'm like, I can't get to the castle. <laughs> the record's in 30 five... minutes right now. It's okay, not four okay. minutes. <laughs> it's kind of like, I can't get to the castle in 30 minutes. I don't, I don't know how I'd even get there. But it, it, it's broken with a lot of conventions of Zelda. Okay. It has it's, it's So what would what would bring somebody who has that member berry nostalgia 
for the classic. I think if if they love the first Zelda mm-hmm. um, or A Link to the Past, they're going to get that experience in 3D. Okay. Um, I think people that want to play a challenging game who have found Zelda too easy in the past are going to want to play this game. I think people that are completionists are going to want to play this game. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a few people complete it. And they've done all of the shrines where you unlock puzzles and things. And they're at 14% completion. Yeah, That's the other thing. The dungeons. There are what you would consider the conventional dungeons. There are very few and far between. For the most part, all of the puzzle gameplay, the challenging kind of figuring out puzzles of Zelda, as you've thought of them in the past, take place in shrines, which are scattered across the yeah. map and you have to find them and yeah the again, map doesn't tell you where everything is it doesn't and when you come upon one you're like oh cool let's go and what is this one it doesn't tell you what it's about it could be really easy it could be difficult and again with with the shrines there's no right way to solve them so let's let's talk about how this differs from previous you just talked about how it's it, it would attract people who like these past games if i'm somebody who didn't like these games why would i play it I think, again, it's not – you have multiple opportunities to solve something. Um, there's one puzzle, puzzle in particular that uses motion controls. Love them or hate them. Sean yeah. hates them. Needle and flick. <laughs> That's what I call it. And you have to guide this ball through a maze. If you imagine those old Cracker Barrel games where you're guiding oh, yes. a, a ball bearing into <laughs> a hole. It's like that. Well, I was getting frustrated with that puzzle. What the game doesn't tell you is you can flip that on its other side, which is a complete flat surface, and guide the ball into the hole. Which, I got so mad that I flipped the puzzle. I was just like, oh, and the ball landed on it and went right into the goal. And I was like, <laughs> what? Spoilers. Um, every puzzle's like that. If you think you can exploit the system, it, it allows you. So, what if I'm somebody who, in my childhood... When I was the target of Nintendo, I played all of these games. And I've grown up, and I like, you know, ultra-realistic, visually refined games. Is this a game for me? Why would I play it? It looks great. It's not It's not going to be the super-realistic, high-texture game that you're expecting. But whether you're playing it on the Wii U or the Switch, it looks fantastic. It, it, it takes a cartoony look, but adds detail to it. So that's an interesting point, and I want to talk about that for a second. When we saw Nintendo transition from the GameCube to the Wii, it was the last big game that came out was Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. And it was released on both consoles at the same time. And if you look back at Twilight Princess, and I played all of them, right? Even though I'm supposedly a hater. Uh <laughs> Well, that game, there's reasons I do hate it, which has to do with sheep. But, <laughs> goats. Okay, goats. Yes, you're right. Herding goats at the beginning of the game, the most annoying tutorial ever. It takes four hours to actually start playing the game. And, yes, the <laughs> pacing was way off. But this is a bridging game. So those of us who have not committed to the Switch can still play it. If we did commit to the last mistake the wii u and 
the Wii U had so much potential. And this is getting to a little bit of what we were talking about earlier. I, If I take this for nothing other than to play Breath of the Wild... Now, I'm going to inject my view here. If I didn't have a Wii U, this is worth buying a Switch for. I I fully agree. Or a Wii U, which is less expensive. I, I and fully agree. And in ready supply. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. Well, that's true because the supplies have come. They stopped manufacturing. They're already them. a collector's item. Oh, yay. Um, no, I, I agree. I, if I'm not ready to say it's the best Zelda ever yet. Okay. But. Is it the best game ever? No, but I would say it's close. Okay. So what? why why doesn't it hit the target for you? I haven't said it hasn't. I haven't finished the game. I'm 70 hours in, and I've got probably twice as long to go. So as a long-time critic of games and somebody who's played a lot of games, I hate when people ask me, what is the best game you've ever played? I, yeah. and Because I, I can't answer it. I can answer that. Can you? A Link to the Past. A Link to the Past and Super Metroid are the best games I've ever played. Hmm. That's, I like Super Metroid. It, they're great. Um, I think this game, if you haven't played a Nintendo game in a long time, in a long time, if you haven't played an adventure game in a long time, this is going to put a smile on your face. I think it is, again, it respects the player, which not many games do. Not many games do. Nintendo's been really bad about that in the past uh, few years yeah, or longer. It respects you. It doesn't tell you anything. And it, it, it respects how you want to play. If you want to go and collect wild berries for an hour, do it. If you want to play the main story and rush it through the end, you're still going to have a great time. If you want to see what all the side quests are, it's great. A thing that I hate about open world games is uh, Assassin's Creed, Skyrim to a lesser extent, is, oh, look how far it is. It would take you three days to walk across the map at normal speed. There's nothing to do in those three hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that and that's, that's why fast travel exists in those games. Which... Yeah. And and there's supposed to be, and, and there are some people who do it better than others. Bethesda, in my mind, generally does that better. They have Im- immersive game experiences that also evolve through accidental discovery. Right. And I think Breath of the Wild excels on that. I, I only fast travel in that game when I'm like, I want to go there. I need to go there to start the story back up. Outside of that, if I'm hunting or if I'm collecting resources, it's like, ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. I will have an objective in mind, but I will get sidetracked four or five times because there's a character getting attacked by uh, bokoblins. There is something shiny over there. What's that? Ooh, there's a shrine I haven't been to. There's a memory. There's a so memory. let's talk about the memory piece. Let's talk so about the story. Story. That's where I was going to go. So... Again, in the past, Zelda games have been pretty linear in storytelling. Mm-hmm. You go to this place, more of the story develops. You go to the next place, more of the story is unraveled. If you want to play Breath of the Wild without experiencing or a minimal amount of story, you can. You can have a great time. If you want to experience the story, you can. But you've got to look for the story. And I think what 
a lot of people have criticized is the ending of the game. I haven't seen it, so I can't spoil it for you. Hmm. Is there kind of, it was kind of a letdown. But I think what but what great game experience ever delivers and has people happy at the end of the game. At the end of the game. Mass Effect 3. <laughs> That was a joke. Uh, okay. I'm joking. <laughs> oh, oh, that's what that was. Huh. Now, but so the story the story is opt- the story is sort of stumbled upon. But isn't that a risk? I yeah. I because you is. have to hunt the story out. It doesn't unfold organically. But it does. How? Because because of where you're where you're walking. Because the mini game to to assume a lot of the story pieces is I have to line up my camera with this picture I've seen to unlock a memory. So I spend more time looking at the environment <laughs> to try and figure out how to find the story. Yeah, I mean, if you want to look for the memories, the memories in the game, basically you're given a picture like Sean said, and you need to figure out where that destination is in the world based on the picture. Oh, I see a mountain in the distance. So if you're not somebody who landmark. has good spatial capability, you can't really coordinate things from a different angle and see how they're related, you're... And this is me nitpicking, right? You're very much nitpicking. This is this is a nitpick for even you. Uh, no, it isn't. It says right here in my notes, <laughs> fanboy segment, Jared gets time to rant about how Breath of the Wild is the best digest game ever, and Sean gets to be a dick about it. I it didn't say it was the best game yet. So you no, you no, you didn't less... follow the script. <laughs> That's why I wrote this. No, I didn't. But you're saying, yeah... I think adventure games and open world games... How does it keep your attention? How Attention span is a huge challenge right now. And this is where my, I get my negative. It's not a negative about Breath of the Wild. It's a negative about gaming. Yeah. We've seen this tendency, because we all asked for this, right? We all wanted longer... 80-hour experience. 90, 100-hour experience. I wanted an experience that lasted me three years, and I only want to pay $40 for it. And I have a child who's a teenager who spends every waking moment watching people play games so that if he ever thinks about actually not watching people play games and plays them in himself, he knows everything. And and my issue here is keeping – here, again, this is not a Nintendo problem. Nintendo is doing what we've asked them to do. Yep. We wanted a bigger Zelda experience. We wanted Absolutely. the ultimate ability to live in this world. I want to walk eight days and not see the same thing ever again. Well, you can't even do that. No in Man's Bethesda Sky game. is the perfect example no of where you're going. Oh. <laughs> well, we may have to do a whole episode on that. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. We've but, asked for this. But he- even worse, it's delivery... And I don't think there's any perfect time, except maybe middle of summer when I'm not going to be inside playing video games anyways, is right after Horizon Zero Dawn, which we may talk about as a separate thing. But there's three big games that just hit, and we got Mass Effect Mr. Potato Head coming out next week. Uh, Robot Dinosaurs, Horizon Zero Dawn. Right. And Zelda. Mass Effect. Mass Effect. And then I, for me, Persona comes out. Yeah, I was April. trying to think of a, of a funny name for Zelda. Oh, Zelda Horse Simulator. <laughs> Zelda Breath of the Acorn Collector. Oh yeah, uh, or in the Zelda Hoarding. <laughs> Zelda Horde Master. Yeah, yeah you you can do Skyrim level hoarding in this game. Yeah. 
But um, we're getting a little off topic. But the point, to sum it up and bring it back in, right, if you're not a traditional fanboy and you're somebody who likes the experience of a Skyrim or, you know, Fallout. I think you talked on that with attention, Gavin. Everything you do in Breath of the Wild can be as long or short as you want to be. The shrines are designed to be solved within five minutes. Actually, I can't think of one that didn't take me yeah, shorter I mean, than Yeah, I mean, it's 15. made for you to do as much, or there's not that experience where you're going through a dungeon. No, there were some physics puzzles in the Celestial Beasts, which are the big dungeons, right, where it took a little longer. Yeah, and, but I think I think the way the game builds those up, you you almost expect those are not going to be solved within five minutes. You know that those are going to be the bigger experience of the game. And you know that the shrines, for the most part, I found a shrine with three locked doors in it. It was the size of a small dungeon. They exist. They're rare, though. Everything Mm -hmm. in the game, every little side quest, for the most part, if you want to do that and that only, it doesn't take a long time. I remember going through Skyrim in some dungeons, and I'd be in the cave for an hour just battling and fighting and healing and but i don't have that in breath of the wild everything's set up for a short small encounter you kind of cope and if you want to go to those bigger experiences or those areas you're not sure what's over there you kind of know that you've kind of got to spend time collecting resources before you move out there okay so let's hit another topic on this sure multiplayer it's it's kind of something that everybody expects from everybody but nintendo Except there's this weird phenomena going on right now, which is Breath of the Wild is a single-player experience that everybody is playing together. Again, you, I think everybody has been anticipating this game. And, the and, pe- and everybody's a broad overstatement by both of us. Again, but I know. I say... The, all the people who are interested, all the players. When I say everybody, I mean approximately 25% of the population. That I understood there was to be no math. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people have been waiting for this game. The hype train yep. has been chugging for a while. Hype which, is such a dangerous that's thing. That's a whole today. other episode. <laughs> yeah. So the people that were ready to go day one have then, then promoted the game to the people that were quarter, sort of skeptical, such mm-hmm. as yourself. Well, I pre-ordered it. I wasn't all that skeptical. Let's just pretend that you did. <laughs> But you're hearing from other people how, what they're doing in the game. And yep. this, this, the same thing happened when Skyrim came out. Absolutely. Skyrim has seen a life well beyond any other Bethesda game. And why do you think that is compared to Fallout or the previous um, Elder Scroll games? Well, Morrowind and, and Oblivion both saw good success on the consoles. There wasn't a lot like them. You know, they, they play like a first-person shooter, but... They're not. But why Skyrim break out of that? You know, the only thing I can figure is people, even though Skyrim physically is smaller than the other two games, each game in those series has gotten geographically smaller. There's more to do. And people will start telling their own stories. And and Skyrim and you, doesn't... It lets and you, you can play. completely ignore the scripted storyline and still spend 200 hours yeah. doing whatever you want. And Skyrim, again, is one of those games that lets you play how you want to play it. Yep. It doesn't tell you to not go build your archery skills or sneak around and loot. If you want to play as a archery type, go for it. And everything you do in that game increases your skill in that. Right. 
You invest the time, you get a reward. And you get better. Yep. So, I, again, I think Zelda's the same way to a lesser degree. Well, and, it, and to be fair, they have said, when we designed Breath of the Wild, we looked at the trends in the industry and the things we liked playing. Let's let's talk about that. Okay. Nintendo is finally looking, paying attention to somebody else. Is looking <laughs> what other people are doing. Huh. Because that's Nintendo's strong point and it's their weak point. Yeah. Nintendo I mean, I want to do an episode about Splatoon at some point. Okay. We can do that. Um I might know the program director. <laughs> but again, Nintendo's sort of listening taking what they're learning but they're not fully compromising their game with other what other people are doing they're not doing an assassin's creed sort of collectathon where you get a hundred feathers and they don't do anything yeah they're not doing the same every side quest in zelda is different let's talk about the npcs the npcs all have something to say in this game for those who don't know npc stands for non-player character these are other people you encountered who are not part of the main storyline yeah the 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 townspeople the the computer as we old people used to say the computer players the writing and dialogue in this game is hilarious Yes, it is. The localization <laughs> is hilarious. I, I hope everybody's reading it. it. There's a lot of pun work. If you hate puns, mm. like for example, I was in the Gerudo Desert, mm-hmm. and there's a new form of travel in the desert called sand seals. They're basically seals that can go through the sand really fast. They're basically your horse in that area, and you can rent them. And not the NPC's dialogue, Link's dialogue, the character you're playing as, was let's seal the deal. Seriously? Oh I haven't seen that. Link's dialogue in the game is hilarious. It's not yes, no. It's contextual to what the person's saying. So that's an evolution for, for Nintendo's storytelling. Yeah. They haven't done that. It's traditionally, with the localizations at least, your NPCs might have some color commentary. But you don't. But you're... A blank slate. Did you understand this? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, in and you know, you go back to the Gordon Freemans of the world, right? Which is the concept in Half Life, a first person shooter, that you had this story driven first person shooter, and the old deal was he never talked. Because they didn't want to poison your concept of you being that character. Link you can't do that with. Link is Link. Yes, he is your avatar and he does what you want. But most of us have experienced, you know, former Zelda games. And even though he was supposed to be this blank slate, his story was his story. And he was a character. It's like playing The Witcher, right? Geralt of Rivia is Geralt. How I tell his story is different than how you'll tell him. But he's ultimately, at the end of the day, the same character. So what is that called? Uh, Something dissonance? Narrative dissonance? Narrative dissonance, yeah. If you want to, like the games that you're inhabiting a character and their actions are outside of what you're doing in the gameplay, like the narrative mm-hmm. and the gameplay. Yep. And the one that's always brought up is Uncharted. <laughs> he's a reluctant hero. He doesn't. Then meanwhile, you're murdering like ninety people. Yeah, he's a people walking per hour. stereotype. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not a fan of the Uncharted series. Okay. Well, I, he's the least attractive Laura Croft yet. <laughs> I think this Zelda has. Brought more character, you know. Link has had that, right? You mm-hmm. go into a, a character's house, 
And they break all their pots. Break their pots. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, hi, hey. Link. How are you today? Exactly. <laughs> they're like, I just smashed all your stuff. In the very first 15 minutes of the game, a character that you meet in the very beginning, you take their apple off the ground, right? And he's it's like, why there. are you stealing my apple? He's like, why are you stealing my apple? And then he's like, don't worry about you it. You know the other thing? This is the first Zelda game where you don't have a future as a landscaper. You don't spend your time cutting grass. You can. It doesn't yield anything. It yields crickets, Sean. Okay. <laughs> uh, and by the way, as somebody who doesn't like fishing, Japan, quit trying to make fishing a thing in my <laughs> games. It's not it's 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 not uh, traditional fishing in this game. It's Hyrule hand fishing because you don't have a fishing pole in the game. By the way, I usually fish with grenades in bombs? this game. The shock bombs. arrows, electric yes. arrows. Oh, hitting electric arrow, you can shock. It's them. a little, it's a little pricier, you know, if you want to get invested in. <laughs> yeah, your your bombs regenerate. I mean, so. if you want to be a common bomb fisher, that's fine. But for the elite, we like to to fish with electric oh, arrows. God. No, I, I had the same problem with Final Fantasy XV, and they're like, here's the prince of this kingdom, and his hobby is fishing. So, real quick before we leave. Yes. What does the game do bad? In your opinion and in my opinion. You know, I I have a problem answering this question. Which, it's it's really a problem. Because, is it the best game? Can I say that... You know, this is the only game I ever want to play again, and I want to play it over and over and over. I don't need to play it over and over. My experience with the game is finite. What does it do wrong? Well, fishing for me. (laughs) Um, Just because I'm not a big fishing person. The one thing I would say that I don't like about it, and this is a strength for many many people, I don't like the fragility of the equipment and weapons in the game. I don't always... I don't like having to hunt weapons. I have the opposite problem. I'm always coming across the weapon and I'm like, oh, I don't have any slots. I have to get rid of something. I I don't hunt weapons in that game. I am to the point where I'm like, oh, I have to get rid of something really good. I, I have the opposite problem. And that, to me, I think is equally as annoying as your problem. <laughs> I, I wish I could collect everything. Um, yeah, we we've all seen the Skyrim plays where the guy has a every cheese wheel in <laughs> Tamriel. But that's that's a strategy to the game, right? Do I want to use my really high powered weapon that I might want to save for? A boss well, and then when you get the Master Sword, obviously it, master, it has a different mechanic. The Master Sword's in the game. I haven't found it yet. It, Wink. Yeah. Okay. Come on, it's in the marketing. But you're I. I I think it does a lot of things right. Does it do it the best? No, but I I feel like this is the least flawed Nintendo game in the past 10 years. Absolutely agree with you. Absolutely. Hands and down. I would also say it is it competes with every other open world game out there. And let's let's go no, back. No, no, no. Let's talk about that for a second. Let's no. It is Nintendo's first entry into open world games. It took them 6 years to make, but they nailed it. They did. And I can't be the cynic. I can't be a dick about that. It, it's a great experience. They have no experience. experience making this type of game. And now I've lost my objectivity, and I'm no good to this interview. <laughs> because I'm on the same side as you. That sucks. <laughs> because I'm supposed to be adversarial at this point. Uh, but I can't be. Because this is well worth the investment. Here's the problem. I got... 
the release of P- the new PS4 IP, Horizon Zero Dawn, right. came out a week prior to Correct. Zelda. yep. Day one, I sat down on a PS4, started playing it, loved it. But I knew, it, it was like the girl you date between serious girlfriends, <laughs> right? She's fun, she's hot, and, and this is sexist as hell, but I'll keep going. But you know that you're going to go with this other girl who said she's interested that you've known for years. And she's not been available until just now. And you are taking a risk because you're walking away from this really hot, fun <laughs> girl. And you're going to another girl who you've known as a friend. If if we're using this analogy right now... This is probably going to go really strange places. Breath of the Wild is the girl of my dreams. <laughs> It really is. When I played... I'll Link, tell your wife. I will tell her. <laughs> the ex- Okay, so I want to talk about... I will say that I, I think Aloy is much more attractive than Zelda, but Link has got it going on, and that's all I'll say on that topic. Through time. <laughs> when I played the original Zeldas, I felt like the world was huge. At the time, they were... Well, they were limited by technology. They were limited. At the they were in your head, time, right? But it felt bigger than it was. You go back and you see, oh, this was flawed. This was different. Oh, this is actually kind of small. Oh, that's kind of simple. Well, the dungeons are not nearly as big as you think they are. Right. They're yeah. I just recently played through a link to the past before this game came out, and I was like, oh, that was easy. Oh, wow, that was a lot. Small. Well, you go back and play Wind Waker. Yeah. Go back and play Twilight Princess. But it felt huge, and that's how I feel about playing this game. I think I'm. I think this is a game that's going to last in my memory. So isn't that a bad thing for Nintendo? It, it's a it's a double edged sword. Because how did they do this again? I don't think they will. I think the next Zelda entry is going to be something vastly different. I think they're going to go to something VR Zelda <laughs> VR with wiggle and flick technology. <laughs> All right, so we should wrap it here. Uh, well, well, yeah. Let's just go to the, let's yeah. just talk on the next Zelda, and then we'll wrap it up. But okay. the next Zelda, I don't think is they're not gonna they're not gonna take this open world again. I think they're gonna scale it back. I think they're gonna maybe tell a linear experience. They're gonna do. Are a, they gonna hire Telltale to do an episode? They could. I Nintendo is not gonna do that. Well, they're not gonna hire Telltale, but they might tell the next Zelda in that format. They might do something. I think they're gonna do something vastly different. I don't think they're you know Twilight Princess. So bef- this puts me into something else. We talk about this huge game. There's a season pass for this game. Okay. <laughs> I knew you were going to go here. <laughs> DLC. This is the dick part. DLC. Does a game like this need DLC? No. No. This game does not need DLC. So it's completely optional. Great. Get that. Right. It's got a season pass with nothing up front. And it has no details about the DLC. That is not a criticism purely against Sounds Nintendo. Sounds like Final Fantasy fifteen. That is a criticism against all season passes. It's the industry. It's the industry. It's unpromised or un unconfirmed promise, right. right? We we you give us money, we might give you something you like. I will say, and this is some fanboyness, Nintendo has a very good track record with DLC. And they have very You mean like the what was it, Mercedes or BMW? Those were Mario free. Kart? Those were free, Sean. You could get a Mercedes experience for free, unlike real life. Okay. No, the paid DLC. Nintendo has not finished a game 
And then you get the DLC and you're like, oh, this should have been in the main game. That has not been a criticism of Unlike Nintendo. most everybody else. Most. A lot of, a lot of them. Well, Bethesda. We were just praising Bethesda. I would How say many s- of their games are completely... Un- Fallout 4 is especially bad about this. Yeah. The story, you could finish it without the DLC and it's fine. But the DLC really made the story worth playing. Yeah, and that's a bad thing in my opinion. That's a horrible trend to go through. And we're seeing that with Final Fantasy XV from Square as well. Yeah. Where the, the episodes for the side characters that you're playing. Absolutely. And, because in the game, there's this artificial reason that they just disappear. Right. You know, and the chapter 13 is horrible. It needs to be rewritten. And they're rewriting it, by the way. So, and I know I'm getting off topic. No, but I want to talk about Nintendo specifically. Because I think, again, nobody's making it a purchase this. And I will tell you right now, Breath of the Wild... DLC, let's wait and see what happens, right? Um, Mario Kart 8 mm-hmm. is, I think, the best example of Nintendo fulfilling the actual promise of DLC. New maps, new, new tracks, maps, new cars. New cars. New it players. gave you a full Mario Kart game. It gave you what you were expecting. Okay, so let me give you the counter argument. Yep. Smash Brothers. I, I disagree. I think... You already had a complete roster when that game came But if I want Ryu, I have to buy Ryu. Yeah. If I want, well, Mega Man was in it, but, you know. They're optional. For some players, they aren't. What do you mean for some players? So here's how I would fix that, because I'm smart. (laughs) I'd give you a credit and say, you have the ability to choose one of these 12 fighters, and as a purchase you get to set your own roster games are, some games are moving down that route right uh street fighter 5 mm-hmm. the more time you invest in that you get the dlc for free or if you're impatient you can, you can just buy, buy it, it with actual money and we see it a lot in first person shooters you know battlefields and all those too from mario kart and smash's yeah. perspective was the game i getting for 60 dollars worth it 100 percent? yes Everything in Mario Mario Kart's DLC was twelve dollars for half. Right, so you've got a scale half issue, the game. Right? It's not forty dollars yeah. for N- two extra tracks. N- and the and Nintendo's DLC for Zelda is twenty. A little high for what you're not getting. Well, what but you don't com- know what you're compared getting. to other. But this goes passes. back to, don't get upset if you throw your money away and you don't get something good in return. Yeah, I I agree, but. N- they don't force you for it. They're not like, oh, you're going to have And the you're not missing experience. a part of the story. The story's there. We don't know. We don't think you're missing a part of the story. You're right. It could. It, it is going to have a story. Maybe it's the story of Zelda. It could be. I, I, I've been speculating that in my mind, but that, again, we'll talk And something about that happened before the fall of Hyrule after Link left. I think it's going to take place after. I mean, there's a lot of this. And maybe it's a continuation. But you're I right. I think it's great. I think some games are like, well, this is going to continue to tell Ryu's story when he battles Pac-Man. Um, <laughs> well, I think I think it's different. great because the way that Breath of the Wild's story is, everybody's speculating. Yep. That that in its own is worth something. Well, this goes back to that multiplayer, single-player game. Yeah. Everybody's talking about it. And in, by everybody, I mean the people who are playing this game, whether they were originally fans or not, are, are talking about it. And we're going to continue to talk about it in future podcasts. Yeah. I think what we need to do right now is 
in Breath of the Wild. We both like it, love it, highly recommend it, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it for the next year. I will be. Yeah. Just call me. I'll talk about it. He will. Um, But I want to get to a segment that's going to be regular on sines, cosines, and tangents. Except this is your segment. This I want you to do this one. Okay. It's a little something that we call One One Dumb dumb thing. Thing. Nintendo friend codes are present on the Nintendo Switch. It's 2017. So here's a funny story. We were going back preparing for this first podcast, and and I I said, hey, I should look back and see if my old Game On podcast from the Columbus Dispatch was still online and what I could get. So I downloaded a podcasting app, and I subscribed. And you listened to an episode from? 2009. 2009, so. The launch of the Nintendo DSi. Ooh, the eye is special. (laughs) And in that. In the first segment of that podcast, I was talking about that Nintendo keeps trying to make a friend code a thing. It's not a thing, Nintendo. It will never be a thing. It it was a failed idea on the Wii. It was a failed idea on the DS, the DSi, the and DSi it XL, it wasn't the present, 3DS. It wasn't present on the Wii U. No. They fixed it. Well, kinda. They improved upon. Now, it. here's the, the thing: they've now moved away from your. Well, yeah. So you had the amiibo, or not the amiibo, the um, uh, what were those icons? Your avatars. The me's. Me, me's. Your me was how you would link to somebody else on the Wii U. Well, yeah, they did it through the Meverse, right? You had a, a username, and you could search upon said username, which Still is how... Still a pain in the ass. That's how modern consoles do, email address. But the funniest thing is, so we were, just jokingly, I started playing this, and I, I'm like, so who are we protecting that we have to make it so hard to play with other players? And now, that was in 2009. There's no online services other than specific games. You couldn't have a master server. You couldn't join other people. You kind of had to know somebody, send them an invite, hope that they saw it. They'd link into your game and then play. Guess what? It's 2017. Well, I mean, we're, I think we're doing the same thing. I think we should talk about Nintendo's online strategy as part of Nexus. And now I'm going to pay for it. Yeah, exactly. What are we getting? Goes back into your whole. What are we expecting? Well, we, we all thought PlayStation Network going pay to play. We didn't have a choice with Xbox Live. It was pay to play day one. I would have to say that Sony, when they converted, recognized that and said, "Hey, we get it. You don't want to pay. We need you to pay." Because it supports the services. And by the way, if you subscribe to Plus, we're going to give you these things. Not demos of games. We're going to give you full games. And you can keep them in your library for as long as you're a subscriber. And then you can play online with your friends. Oh, okay. You can have my 40 bucks a year or 50 bucks now. Nintendo, hey, dudes, ladies, what is your value proposition? Well... In Nintendo's defense, every online thing is free right now. In Nintendo's defense. And 
the games that launch between now and fall are going to be free online, and they're going to basically make their proposal of what their online service is. I have never seen a reason to play a Nintendo game online with another person. Splatoon. When I play Nintendo games, I play, oddly enough, when I play them, I play them with you or another friend sitting next to me like I always have with Nintendo games. Because the couch co-op experience is key to the nostalgia that Nintendo preys upon. And that's the cynic in me. I will say Splatoon, which we will cover eventually in the future. Ad nauseum. Ad nauseum. (laughs) Is the argument against everything you're saying. It is one game, though. So it is not enough to support a whole paid service. But it is that one game where I think Nintendo is going to make strides. Splatoon and Mario Kart 8 Super Deluxe, all the DLC edition. Plus new DLC. (laughs) Okay. So... I think we've called out wah. Yeah. Friend codes. One dumb thing. One really dumb thing. All right. Last shots. This is your opportunity, Jared, to just sum up, say one thing. I say nothing. You make a statement. And then I get my shot and we're done. Okay. So it's just one line. Yep. Summarize your thoughts right now. After we've gone through this five-hour marathon of a podcast. I don't know how long it's actually been. I think Nintendo is getting its groove back. But not yet. Okay. I'm excited to be back in the podcasting business. And hopefully you're enjoying this. And have some feedback from us. That is my parting shot this week. Make sure to comment on this post. Tell us what you want to hear. Um, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. subscribe. We, we've we've bounced around whether we want to do video gameplay and kind of do the two guys on the couch kind of playing a game while we talk. I don't know that that's our thing. Yeah, especially um, talking here today. I feel like we're actually engaged in an actual conversation. No. What? That doesn't happen. So this will wrap up episode one. Uh, thank you for listening if you've made it this far if you didn't then you don't know what I'm saying right now and I'm wasting my breath so all of you who made it this far thank you and we'll be back next week with some new topics we don't know what yet because that requires planning it'll probably be shorter we hope it'll be shorter you don't know how long it's taken us to get to this point in the podcast today (laughs) I showed up at uh, a little after 11 I spent two weeks in the logo alone it's 8.24 p.m. <laughs> I got here before noon. We're good to go, though. You'll you're love all of the stuff we got set we up. We just only had to build a brand. We did have. <laughs> so, so let's hold on. Before we go. Oh, gosh. I'm the signs in signs, cosines, and tangent. But that's not an ego trip. That's just because it's a punny way to play on my name. He wouldn't let me not put his name in the title. I wouldn't. I was like, <laughs> No. No, this isn't about me. Jared, you're I'm, far more interesting. I'm the talent. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, this has been Jared Jarbachev Cherub. And Sean Signs. Signs. <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, talk at you next time.